So I had a big tweet today, and it really did have me start thinking about quite a wide variety of things. And I wanted to get you guys' thoughts about it. I wanted to have a good old rant about it because, uh, oh, my Lord, I'm I'm kind of boiling over. It's, it's a bit unusual for me, um, or maybe not, but I'm kind of boiling over in a way that I haven't felt in quite some time. So uh, my big tweet today, which hit, uh, I don't know, what did we get? Quite a lot of people uh, giving it the old look-see. And, uh, yeah, 800,000 people or so. And it said, Jesse Smollett faces years in prison for falsely accusing someone of a crime. What is the penalty for falsely accusing a president of treason? And that is a very big deal. That is a very big deal. It's like the people on the left don't have a single clue about the thin line that separates us from chaos, from the war of all against all, that they can smash institutions left and right for their own narcissistic, petty, vengeful needs with no thought for the future, no thought for people who are going to have to try and hold society together or pick up the pieces if it falls apart as they seem hell-bent on achieving. And it's really, really pissing me off. There was an episode of MASH. It's an old television show. It's a movie and television show from many years ago. And there's a colonel in it who's a doctor. And at one point, I remember that I haven't seen the show in, I don't know, 30 years or whatever, but there was a scene in MASH where one of the elderly doctors, they, they're bringing in new people who have been injured in the wars, in the Korean War. They're bringing in new injured people. And he says, someone says something like, now the injury is white phosphorus. It's a chemical that sticks to the skin and burns it off your very bones. And he basically just throws down a scalpel and says, God damn it. Every time we find some way to put people back together, they find yet another way to pull them apart. The harm done in the West by this mad, fever swamp, hysterical, paranoid, delusional fantasy of Russia collusion by the Trump administration, the damage done literally cannot be calculated. This is a turning point, not just in the Republic, but in the West as a whole. The turning point because the FBI, in pursuing this matter and they've got nothing after more than two years 40 million dollars 45 million dollars they got nothing which means at some point not only does it mean at some point they knew they had nothing but it also means that they started with nothing they started with nothing like, let's say you're pursuing some criminal investigation and there are three witnesses and videotape. And you say, man, we got to get this going. But then, you know, it turns out that the guy in the videotape, well, kind of blurry. You can't really see. Got a big hat on. Smokey the Bear maybe committed the crime. 
And then the three witnesses are like, well, I didn't have my glasses on, says one. I was stoned, said the other one. And the other one said, well, I'd been hit in the head earlier that night, and I was seeing stars and double. So you started with something. You had eyewitnesses and a videotape. It just didn't pan out in any rational way. Hey, I guess it happens. But that's not this. That is not this. This accusing a sitting president or investigating a sitting president for treason, for colluding with an oft-hostile foreign power to steal the election from Granny Satan, that is about as serious a crime as can be imagined. About as serious an accusation as can be imagined. Because what that means is you have a soft, windswept head Pinochet in the White House. It means that people can no longer trust elections. It means that the trans orderly of transfer of power has completely broken down. And to feed this vomit, this garbage, to the American public, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, to the point where almost half of Americans now believe that there's Russia collusion, and getting those ideas out of people who generally in America read at a seventh grade level, even the freshmen going into college read at a seventh grade level. A third of teens haven't even bothered to read a crack a book in the last year. I mean, they don't have any outside frame of reference. Everybody's sealed in their own bubble. The damage that has been done, the damage that has been done, because they couldn't admit that hacky twitchy Clinton was a terrible candidate. She was a terrible candidate. Now, she could have done worse, I suppose, but it's pretty easy to be a Democrat politician, right? You understand? It's pretty easy to run on the Democrat platform because you're not constrained by math, by limited resources, by facts. You're limited by what? You can give everyone everything. You can do everything. You can fund the warfare state, the welfare state. You can have massive debt. You can pour more money into schools. You can pour more money into healthcare. You can spend, spend, spend. You can have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez with her $90 trillion plus, was it? New Green Deal. See, you can just say whatever, offer whatever. Bribe whatever, whoever, with everything. It's not that hard to give candy to children. It's a little tougher to get them to eat their carrots, but it's pretty damn easy to give candy to children. And that's all you're doing on the left. Everything's free. Everything's wonderful. Everything's available. Everyone's going to get along. Ah. Uh. Whereas if you're not on the left, well, it, it happens on the right too, don't get me wrong, but the, the left is dragging the right this way, and I'm not taking the right out of the equation and or excusing everything they do. But on the right, you're, 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 you're crippled by reality, logic, facts, math, limited resources, debt, numbers that occasionally need to vaguely add up. 
So it's not that hard to run on the left. It's not that hard to run as a Democrat. You just insult everyone who disagrees with you and bribe everyone into agreeing with you. It's not that hard. You, you, pour, you pit people against each other. You foment dissent. And you come in with this bizarre holodeck fantasy that you can just summon anything you want, snap of your finger, wave of the government, wand of power called the gun, and the magic printing press, which is defended by the gun. So you come in thinking, well, all our resources are infinite, so why would you ever say no to anyone? Well, you must be a Nazi if you say no to anyone. Math is fascist for these people. It's not that hard to run on the left. And she couldn't even win with massive amounts of bribery. She couldn't even win. Why? Well, you know, she didn't campaign that much. She insulted huge numbers of people. She was obviously hiding health issues. She didn't have any press conferences. She didn't campaign to the flyover states very much. She had it in the bag. Her overconfidence was her weakness. She had it in the bag. Had it in the bag. And then she lost. She lost. Unfathomable, incomprehensible. How could this orange lunatic goofball reality star carve his way like an icebreaker through 17 comp competitors for the nomination, get through, sail through, and win? Well, partly it was because he paid to have people listen to talk radio for a year or two before he even decided to announce so that he could figure out what Americans really cared about. He went out, he worked hard, he listened. And, you know, there's uh, stuff to be said about Donald Trump. <laughs> but one of them is that the man is not short of charisma, right? Compared to lemon-faced, swirly-head, <laughs> bobblehead Clinton, it's it's not not even remotely a fair contest. So they... Lost. Incomprehensibly to them. Why bother campaigning if you're going to win? And can you imagine, like if you're so overconfident, I don't know if you've ever seen these videos online, but these videos where it's like, he celebrated too soon. It's like the guy who, who's, oh, I'm going to win the running race. So he slows down and <laughs> Speedy Gonzalez goes right behind him, or right beside him up the right lane and gets the title. Or the biker who's like, oh, I'm, I've won the Tour de France. I'm going to slow down and <laughs> right. Well, she didn't work that hard. It was in the bag. They had a joke. They figured it was a joke opposition running for them. And they have the academia on their side. They have the media on their side. They have the search engine seem to be on their side. So you're going to win, right? Lose. Oh, incomprehensible. Incomprehensible. I don't know if you've ever had people in your life. I occasionally wake up screaming of dreams of people I used to have in my life who can never, ever admit that they fucked up immensely that they absolutely effed up i don't know what's the point of effing now but they absolutely screwed up completely and they take ownership for it right but you can't right so there's this and this is how fragile the egos are on the left right like that there was a terrible thing that happened for them right they lost the election 2016 and what could they do well, they could say, well, you know, we, we, he, he must have known something, must have done something right, because, man, he did a good job, right? You know, when I was in business, and, and we would have what's called an RFP, a request for a proposal, we'd put in our software, we'd compete with a bunch of other software companies to provide a solution, 
And, uh, you know, sometimes we'd win and sometimes we'd lose. And I remember we had a guy in the business uh, uh, who was, um, you know, he worked really, really hard on an RFP. And then uh, he said, uh, when we, we lost. And, and he said, yeah, you know, they just, it's, you know, money under the table. It's, it's, you know, it's bought and paid for. It's, you know, it was never a fair contest. And I was like, really? I've had some experience with people who don't take responsibility for their actions. I said, really? Do you have any evidence for this whatsoever? He said, you know, that's just how these things work. You know, it's like, well, so I said, I remember, I remember really clearly sunny day in, in, in a conference room. And I said, um, well, first of all, I had to clear the room, right? You, you know, you, you praise in public, you chastise in private. So I cleared the room and I said, if, if you knew it was a done deal, if you knew it was an inside job from the beginning, why did we bother pouring all this money into to writing the RFP? And going out and presenting, which we did twice, flew people out. You know, why? Why are we spending $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 putting in an RFP if it's a done deal? Well, I didn't find that out till later. And you, you, you just see people. Now, maybe he didn't screw up. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. It probably wasn't an inside job. I don't think so. But, you know, it's like you wanted, the, you wanted to win the business. You didn't win the business. And then you can see people, these, these hamster demon wheels start turning in their head. I've got to find a way that this is not my fault. I've got to find a way that I don't have to look in the mirror and say I did something wrong. That's a demonic human trait. I know that's a strong word, but I'm telling you, my friends, it is a demonic human trait. Because, I mean, just look at what happens, what, what's happening in Venezuela, what happened in, in, happening in Cuba, in what happened under the communists in China, the USSR. Their policies made things terrible, but they could not admit fault. They could not say, hey, maybe there's something wrong with the theory, right? Maybe there's something wrong with central planning. Maybe there's something wrong with Command and control economies. Maybe there's something wrong with not allowing private ownership of the means of production. Maybe there's something wrong with not having a price system of any kind so we can't allocate anything efficiently. Maybe there's something wrong with it. No, they can't admit that they're wrong. These demons cannot admit that they're wrong. And it's incredibly fragile. It's incredibly delicate. And I don't know. I honestly don't know what's underneath that eggshell of vulnerability and, and, and self-hatred and greed. Desire for the unearned. You can't admit that you're wrong. So what do you do? Ah, you say, if you're a communist, the economy is not working because there are saboteurs and counter-revolutionaries and we're going to drag them out by their heels and we're going to string them up and we're going to kill them. We're going to ship them off to Siberia. We're going to terrorize them. And then magically everything will be great. And with enough bullets and enough heads, the theory will work. Cannot admit fault. And they, they just couldn't say Donald Trump... He spoke to people. He, he, he traveled more. He listened more. He, well, of course, one, one of the reasons they can't admit that he was right was that he was right largely about the wall and about illegal immigration, which is kind of funny. I mean, illegal immigration, immigration's a legal thing, and the illegal makes it not legal. It's, illegal immigration is just one of these weird phrases. It's like, can, can you imagine legal murder or illegal paying your taxes or 
legal, not paying your taxes. <laughs> like it's just it's a contradictory term. But people want a wall. They, they want no amnesty. They want less immigration for damn good reasons. Damn good reasons. The people who come in from the third world to the West overwhelmingly vote for larger and larger governments. In other words, they flee the effects of large governments in their homelands, and then, like Lady Macbeth dragging a big sack of guilt behind her, they bring the same monstrous statist fantasy to the West. If you want a small government, immigration is in the way. It's going the opposite direction. So, because, But because they're relying on immigration to maintain power, right? They're relying on the immigrants coming in and voting for the left, as they do. Because Christians have more babies. And blacks abort half their babies. And the Hispanic birth rate is going down, right? And the left don't like to have babies. They like to suck babies out of mother's innards with some giant vacuum tube from hell. Oh, Mr. Trump, you're separating parents from their children at the border. It's like, nope, the parents are doing that because they're doing the illegal stuff. You know, it's like if, if some guy goes and robs a bank and then he gets sentenced to five years in jail, do you say to the judge, oh, you're separating a man from his family? It's like, no, he did that himself. He robbed a bank, which is a stupid way to steal from people. You want to steal from people? You don't rob a bank. You own a bank. That's how you do it. Idiots. So, but oh, they care about separating People, children from their mothers, <laughs> they, they seem to celebrate separating children from their mothers as long as it's with a skull-crushing forcep that gets thrown into medical waste and sewn, sold in some back alley. So they can't, they, they couldn't say, well, we got immigration wrong, we got to pivot to where Trump is on immigration because they can't do that. They can't do that because the, the, there's the collectivist theory, the the hyper-altruistic, pathological altruistic theory has, has crashed. The socialist theory has crashed. Government control and ownership has crashed 60, 70 years ago. Fought an entire damn war about national socialism. But you know what would be great if we implement socialism in our nations? <laughs> it's like a funhouse mirror where everything's on fire. And you lose your soul in your shattered reflection. So they can't follow Trump down the immigration road. Because that's what the people want. So they can't admit fault. They can't adopt any of Trump's policies. So what do they do? Russia. Russia. Russia, Russia, Russia. And this was hatched within hours of the last this we're going to blame russia going to blame russia blame russia blame russia now did any of them sit there and think wow you know boy this is really going to discredit the fbi i mean not recommending prosecution of hillary and then going after trump and his family and his associates and so on for two years plus terrorizing people destroying families bankrupting people throwing people in jail yeah some people did some bad stuff but my god Oh, no, there was money laundering. Yeah, yeah, I get it. It's bad. It's wrong. It's illegal. But <laughs> I mean, compare that to all of the banksters who skated free and clear in 07 and 08. When 10% of American housing stock lay fallow, when 40% of America's wealth was destroyed, burned from stern. 
to back end, bow to stern. Sorry, I lost my words for a sec. They burned from bow to stern 40% of America's wealth, vanished up in smoke. Liars' loans, they were called. Yeah, just write in whatever you're making, we'll give you a house. Variable rate, variable rate mortgage, terrible government education, low IQ recipients a lot of times. Hmm. Anybody go to jail? No. But you try putting a tent up in a park to protest this horrifying financial predation. They'll put your ass in jail in about nine minutes. You're part of Occupy Wall Street, man. You're up against the car. But you help burn down 40% of people's wealth and end up stealing billions and billions and billions of dollars from poor people who really aren't that smart on average. You're fine. You're fine. They don't sit there and say, well, we're going to destroy people's faith in the rule of law. What, what, what credibility does the FBI have now? They started with nothing, you understand? They didn't have a whole bunch of stuff that didn't pan out. They started with nothing. Oh, one drunken conversation and... Uh, come on. They started with nothing. It was con con constructed out of whole cloth, as they used to say. It was just made up. Absolutely made up. General Flynn. He's a political prisoner, in my view. He's just an innocent bystander taken down in the bloodthirsty quicksand of an attempted legal coup. Paralyze the presidency, get him to not deal with immigration. And that's the purpose. That's the purpose. My team, win or lose. And you understand, this is what, this is what addicts do. This is what addicts do. They just burn down entire structures, entire societies in pursuit of their drug. The drug is heroin or, or, or cocaine or meth or whatever. You spit out teeth and end up yelling at Covington boys. I don't know. But they just destroy in their lust for power. What do addicts do? They lie, they consume, and they destroy. That's what they do. And they don't sit there and say, well, you know, if I steal from my grandmother, it's really going to be tough on the family structure. It's going to make dinners kind of awkward. It's going to put people in very difficult positions. It's going to splinter trust. It's going to harm my bond with my family. They don't sit there and say, I need the cocaine. It's, they don't even say to hell with the consequences. There are no consequences. They don't even think about the consequences. And society is like... It's a philosophical issue. It's a philosophical issue fundamentally. This is why I tweeted today. If you don't follow me, follow me on Twitter. It's Stefan Molyneux. I said, look, it's, 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 it's a philosophical issue. So metaphysics, the study of the nature of reality. Epistemology, the study of how valid knowledge is acquired. Reality and knowledge. Now, if you have objective reality and rational knowledge, then it leads people into the same place called reason, evidence, reality, truth. But when you 
when your metaphysics is so fragmented as postmodernism has done, subjectivism has done, when, when the mirror that you're supposed to look into and see yourself as a society is smashed by the Foucault-driven, self-manacled ass-end of a subjectivism and postmodernism, you fragment. You can make up your own reality. And you can see this happening now. You can see this happening on CNN, on MSNBC, on, on other... You can see this happening all over. Well, they say, they didn't find any evidence of Russian collusion. But they didn't 100% disprove it. They, didn't, they found it maybe not guilty or not worth investigating to find out and not worth charging with anything. But they didn't find him innocent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just what they said about Hillary. Well, yeah, they did, you know, but they're still bad stuff. And smashed her phones and wouldn't turn over. The DNC wouldn't turn over their server. And she, had, you know, ah. So you can see this reality reforming around this scar. Like what happened was this weird, faint thumping sound that they found from outside their literal asylum called the mainstream media. You understand? The mainstream media is a complete fucking asylum. It is an asylum. It is an asylum that takes in people who are unstable and turns out people who are crazy. It's like this human disassembly line. Human brain fragmentation line. They pump this narrative and they don't care. They don't care. Do they care that they're making people paranoid and jumpy? Do they care that they're creating a completely alternative reality? in complete contradistinction to the facts, to reason, to evidence, to reality, to any prior consistency, they, they don't care. They don't care how many lives they ruin. They don't care how many marriages they break up. They don't care how many people become depressed, become suicidal, become anxious, become paranoid. They don't care. They don't care. Because they're serving power. They're serving vanity. They're serving their own petty narcissistic needs rather than that which is actually good for the society in which they live. And they're driven in such a, in such a consuming hatred. I mean, it really is staggering. It really is staggering just how much, you know, just hatred and, and rage there is. And, and it all comes out of fear. It all comes out of fear. When one half of the population becomes dependent upon the forced tax resources of the other half of the population, the road is set to civil war. Of course. Of course it is. Because to be dependent, you know, there's a line. I'm going to do a show this week with someone on a streetcar named Desire, and there's a line, I never understood it. I, I love the play, although it terrifies me, but it's an amazing play. And at the end, it's not a big spoiler, it's one of the most famous lines, Stella in 20th century drama. Blanche Dubois, the southern hypersexed sexed R-selected hysteric of the play, at the end of it, she's being hauled off. She's gonna get, she's gonna go to an asylum. And she, she looks up to the guy and she says, 
whoever you are, have always relied on the kindness of strangers. I've always relied on the kindness of strangers. Whoever you are, she doesn't even know who the guy is. She's batting her eyes at him. She's playing faded Southern Belle coquettish and so on. I've always, and I, this, this, you drove me crazy. I'm sorry, like I was in theater school. It drove me crazy because I did a scene study from this, this play. It drove me crazy because I could not understand why that, why that line was, why, who cares? Oh, I've always relied on the kindness of strangers. I didn't understand it. Like, why is this such a famous line? Why does it speak to people? What does it matter? It's just some throwaway line at the end, but people were like, oh, oh you know, that line. And, and I'm slowly, grudgingly, somewhat resentfully figuring out why that line is so important. Why is that line so important? I have always relied on the kindness of strangers means I'm a very dangerous and manipulative human being. See, I rely on the people in my life. They rely upon me. You have the same thing, I'm sure. You rely on people. They rely on you. But you care about each other. You love each other. You're, you're bonded. You're connected. You're part of a social system. There's give and take. Why? The kindness of strangers. I've always relied on the kindness of strangers. What a terrifying existence to, to, to live in. That you live, you survive on the whim of people you have to continually and consistently manipulate into giving up their stuff to you while you give nothing in return. How terrifying that however you count it, 30%, 40%, 50% of the population in the West is utterly dependent, at least they think, on the forced tax redistribution of other hardworking people. They rely on the kindness of strangers. But they don't deserve the kindness of strangers. Because nobody deserves the kindness of strangers. I don't even know what that means. I mean, do, do you wake up in the morning thinking, well, there's some guy out there in India, somewhere in that billion people, there's some guy out there in India, man, I hope he had a great breakfast. Gosh, I, I really hope he gets what he wants today. I, I hope he's got enough to eat. I, I, nobody, nobody thinks like that. We're, we're tribal. We're designed for 50, maybe 100 people. We're not universal. And anybody, everybody who starts crying out about the universality of the species is almost guaranteed to hate every single individual he comes across. The more you love humanity in the abstract, the more you tend to loathe the people that you actually come in contact with. Because it's so much easier to love an abstraction, and the abstractions are used to manipulate people. To make them feel guilty, to control them. You know, sort of, you know, I'm sure you've seen the video. There's a, it's a funny slash terrifying video in Sweden, I think it is. And there's a Middle Eastern guy who's coming up to these white people and saying, do you think that we should take in more refugees? And they're all like, yes, of course we should. Humanity, humanity, abstract, abstract, no consequences, no consequences. Free virtue, only at the expense of the survival of our entire culture. So they're all like, oh, lovely, yes, we should, all right. And then 
what does the guy do? He brings up another Arabic guy and he says, oh, this is Muhammad. He needs a place to stay. Can he come home with you tonight? Well, you know what the response? Oh, yeah. I got a job interview in the morning. I'm kind of busy. I got to wash my hair. I got to brush my teeth. I got to, my house, my place is messy. I got another room made over. My dog is shedding. All these excuses come pouring out of people so that they don't actually have to live the virtues that they're chest-thumpingly pounding themselves on for being so great human beings for doing. And we want the unearned. We, we thirst for the unearned. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's why you don't have to get up anymore to change your channel. Like when I was a kid, you used to get up and you had to turn the... <laughs> we got three channels and my, my brother always used to get mad because I'd turn it too fast. I was really good at turning it and then just landing on the right channel. So, yeah, we're lazy. That's fine. I get that. That's good. That's, I'm not, so I'm not coming to your house. So I'm not coming to your house to do... I was, dri <laughs> I was driving with someone uh, who was a big fan of the show. He was being very kind. He was dropping me off somewhere. And um, he was like, it was we it's weird because I play you in the car all the time. And there you are sitting and we're having a chat. And I'm like, <laughs> well, social media keeps going on the way. I might end up going back to that. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Hitchhiking and giving people podcasts on the road. Hi. <laughs> but, yeah, we're lazy. We thirst for the unearned. I get that. But it eats us up if we get it too much. It's, it's like sugar. You know, it just it destroys us. It, it's a nice little thing once, but phew, as a core food substitute, it's terrible. I've always relied on the kindness of strangers. And these people who are so desperate, they've, they've backed themselves mentally. They've backed themselves into a corner where if there's any interruption in the tax flow, if there are more jobs, if, if, if the taxpayers wake up and say, wait a second here, what's in this for me? What's in this for me? What's in this for, oh, well, there's a vague abstract sense that you're doing good in the world. It's like, no, no, there really isn't because, you know, America's $20 trillion in debt. My um, home province of Ontario is five times the per capita debt load of California. And California ain't exactly Adam Smith paradise these days, who haven't been for a long time. So, so desperate, they're terrified. And they have thrown themselves into the manipulation of other human beings. So anyone who serves any kind of purpose of reducing tax flows, of, of e increasing job opportunities... Because you know, if you don't want to get a job, and there are no jobs, you can kind of get away with it. And there's lots of jobs out there, and you don't want to get a job. It's a little tougher to keep that old facade going now, isn't it? So when the economy improves, people really hate it. A lot of people really hate it. Hey, Mr. Couch Potato, they're hiring. <laughs> Couldn't find a job, man. Hey, there's 20 jobs in the newspaper today or online. Just, yeah. The aristocracy of indolence is at the very center of our society these days. And oh, oh, yes, and sometimes the poor, blah, blah, blah. I get that. I get There's the needy poor. There's the deserving poor. There's the undeserving poor. I get all of that. And I know that the government can't differentiate between the two. But by God, that's, that's what it's all about. It's give me money. Give me money. And you, you haven't earned it. You haven't earned it. There's a bit in my book, The Art of the Argument, which you can get at theartoftheargument.com. It's a great book. You could also get it on Audible. 
Spoiler. And I talk about this as so some woman, she doesn't work very hard. Why? Because she's doing great things in the neighborhood. And, and if you grew up in a neighborhood, and I was just thinking about how diversity is really destroying the environment because neighborhoods have become emptied out because people don't have cultural compatibility. The, the kids don't play together anymore, certainly not after they start hitting puberty. So what does everyone do? They have to drive their kids to all these activities because you can't just, what did I do? If you're my age, what did you do when you were younger? You just went out and played with the other kids? You didn't have to be driven anywhere. We didn't have, I didn't have a car until I was in my 30s. Certainly didn't have a car growing up. You just went out and played. But now with diversity, fragmenting, and alienating these neighborhoods, kids don't go out and play with each other. So they've all got to be driven and shipped off and carted around. And it's terrible for the environment. We used to just be able to go out and play. Now you've got to be driven to rock climbing. <laughs> but this manipulation is, is really chilling. It's really chilling. It's just about the money. It's just about the, well, it's also about sexual access, but that's a whole other story at the moment. But it's not about, do you care about the poor? It's, can I provoke guilt in you as if I were providing value, right? So in my book, there's this woman, she doesn't work that much, but she does great things in the neighborhood. You know, she sets up uh, uh, games. She goes to visit people who were sick. She goes to pick up groceries. She drives people around. She's just one of these godsend women who is the sole fabric spine and center of a particular community. But she doesn't have a lot of money. Why? Because she's out there doing great things in the community and helping and, and all this kind of stuff, right? So when she gets sick, or let's say she wants to go on a vacation and she talks about wanting to go visit Alaska, do you know what people do? They pass the hat around and they send her off to Alaska or they pay for her medical bills. And people helped pay for my medical bills when I got sick and had to flee to the States. That's what they do. Because she's helping society in more important ways, in many ways, than just making money. But these people... I, I know these people. I grew up around these people. These people's indolence and narcissism and meanness and selfishness is really ground into my very bone marrow through repeated exposure. They don't contribute. What do they do? They have their own weird little projects. They complain. They make life difficult for other people. They sow dissent turn people against each other. They are powder kegs of attack bombs. They're trolls. They're real-life trolls. Trolls. And, and not the cool 4chan trolls, but, you know, the really creepy, dangerous ones. And that's what they do. They don't... What do they contribute? To society. Now, I know that sounds kind of creepy, like, what do they contribute to... I'm not talking anything about anything. I'm just talking about... If people were like, wow, you know, okay, I'm on disability, I got a bad back, but maybe I can set up a neighborhood art class so that kids can learn how to draw space aliens and medieval knights. That's kind of cool, right? Well, I, I you know, I, I have a bad back, but maybe I can at least go and visit somebody who's a shot in. And, and, and make their life a little better and chat with them and, you know, whatever, right? See if they need anything. What are they, you know, 
it's horrible to take away that that capacity to contribute from people. What do they do? They complain. They troll. They and they have so much time on their hands. You know, if if you've got a job, if if you've got kids, you're you're busy, and you cannot compete with people because you're out there making the money that everyone else is locust like stripping from your financial flesh down to the goddamn bones. Being a taxpayer in the modern world is like being a fat cow lowered into the river of the Amazon. All the piranha just <laughs> strip you dry. It's like being that goat lowered into the Tyrannosaurus cage in Jurassic Park. <laughs> no. They just take and take and take. And then the moment you start to interrupt that, right, the venom comes out, the viciousness comes out, the, the aggression comes out. Oh, man. It's nasty. It's nasty. And you're busy. You got kids. You got you got a job. You got maybe you got aging relatives and so on. You 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 don't have time to protest. You see all these protests. It's like two thirty in the afternoon, and people are like, "We got the power. We fought the pay." Hey, this is library. And they're all out there cheering and and chanting and pussy hats on, and it's like, "Don't you have a job? <laughs> don't you have kids?" No, of course not. You can't compete with that. You can't. They they've got the sole focus to extract money from you. And you're busy making that money because you got some pride. This is another thing, too. Like the media is just pumping out all of this crazy paranoid stuff. I mean, my God, if, if I'd been lied to and, and, and frightened and, and made to lose faith in, in my institutions and the law and, and government and elections and the orderly transfer of power, if I'd been lied to, man, I'd be angry. I re like I really would be. I mean, I am, but it's a little different. I just I'd be like, I'm never turning on that TV again. I'm never going to that website. Like, just where's your pride? You've been lied to, manipulated, frightened, set against reality. And I don't mean to sound pessimistic. I oscillate, and I'm almost done my rant. And I appreciate you guys listening. I'll get to some cues in a sec. But I do have a little bit of a sense that these conflicts might not be entirely solvable by appeals to metaphysical speculation. Guys, dark out there in the comments section, man. Oh, it's dark out there in the comments section. Whew. I mean, I've seen anger before. I've seen frustration before. It is dark out there in the comments section, man. There is a black wave that is coming in. It's it's a little odd, I tell you. I always feel like somebody's watching me. It's really strange, you know, to know how many eyes are on you saying, okay, Mr. Chatty Guy, big chatty forehead, Mr. Mouthpiece, Let's see what your words can do. We're holding back. We're going to see what your words can do. I'm working hard. I'm working hard to make the words count, to make the communication count, to avert. It's not grandiose. It's just an idea. It's like, you know how Moses was like parting the Red Sea? Well, I'm like, there's this black 
tide coming in of people who were like, the time for arguments is past. Yeah, you gave it a good shot, but, you know, we'll, we'll take it from here, my friend, right? I know, I know, I know what's coming. And I'm standing there on the beach like I can see this black tide coming and I'm like trying to hold up, I'm trying to hold up my hand to stop this tsunami, this black wave churning inwards. I used to have this dream. Boy, it's gone back 20 years or so. I had a dream. Gosh, for a year or two, I had this dream about, about this giant wave coming, this giant wave coming, giant wave coming. You look deep enough within yourself and you really start to see the future, you know, like all the stuff that imprints on your lizard brain, all the little clues that are opposite from what you want to be, but which actually is where things are. And I'm telling you, man, comment section is pretty dark. And uh, as I get deplatformed, as I get shut down, as I get restricted, it's only getting darker. But I am, I'm just going to keep talking. I'm going to keep talking. I mean, I am listening and I am seeing, but I am going to keep talking. So, speaking of listening, thank you for letting me rantipu. And let's see if anybody has any questions. All right. <laughs> the first one, how to, how to deal with a crippling addiction to the thesaurus function in word processes like MS Word. Hmm. Um, that's interesting. I think if you're precise enough in your thoughts, you don't need a thesaurus. That's sort of my thought. And I'm positive I have lift, I've missed a lot of chats, so I'm sorry about all of that. Uh, Kevin says, in your opinion, does the results or lack thereof of the Mueller report help Trump's prospective re-election, assuming he decides to run? Appreciate your channel. Yeah, Trump's probably going to run. A couple of things could happen. It depends on whether you think... Trump's, whether the whole machinery that's going on in the world, this, this nationalism, this um, whatever you want to call it, this, this return to some kind of math and rationality, if you believe that there is a big, powerful QAnon-style hidden plan, then you could say, I mean, if I believe that, then I would say something like this. I would say, well, first of all, I'm concerned that the Mueller report only ended because Trump caved on massive amounts of legal immigration, Right. I would say something like that. Um, but one possibility could be that Trump is getting through his first term so that he can get to his second term. And in the second term, he's going to deal with immigration. That's a possibility. But there's a lot against it. A man is known by the company he keeps. Like, of course, he should pardon General Flynn. He should pardon General Flynn. Absolutely should pardon Jen. And if he doesn't, then it's going to be tough for loyal people to work for the guy because they'll look at him and say, well, he just let this guy get completely chewed up by an unjust, politically motivated, coup-based machinery. So I'm not going to go work for the guy. He doesn't uh, stand by his troops, right? I mean, the Marines leave no one behind. They will go back to get a guy who's dead. They'll go back and risk life and limb to get a body. Trump has to sign a piece of paper to pardon people. Of course it was a witch hunt. Of course it was a witch hunt. And it's designed, of course, to keep people from wanting to work with Trump. So, yeah, he's going to run again, I'm, I'm pretty sure. 
I mean, I think he sense, uh, feels a real sense of obligation. And I think, uh, hopefully, you know, it's it's great that he's chatting a lot about Israel. <laughs> you know, I guess that's great for some people, but it's kind of important to actually deal with what's going on at home these days, right? So, yeah, I think he's going to run again. I think it is going to help his prospective re-election, but... What is the U.S. getting like a million people a year coming pouring in from the third world? That's, you know, I mean, I know they can't vote right away and oh, oh, it seems like they kind of can a lot of times. But he's fighting demographics and it's going to be it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough no matter what, unless people can convince Mike Cernovich to get back in the fray. All right. Marusia Dark says, if you think things are dark now, just wait till the robots can program themselves and there are no jobs, no meaning, no purpose. People can't be retrained because of IQ, just rat utopia and mass violence. I think you mean mouse utopia, those those experiments. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it. And it's so funny, too, because in a, in a free market, it's it's pretty, pretty, it's, it's, it, it, birth rates regulate themselves really nicely in a free market. I've said this before, right? So the baby boomers, a whole bunch of houses were built for them. And then there was a baby bust, which meant the price of houses would drop like crazy, which means that people will have more money to have more kids and all that. That's how it would work. That's how it would work. But it's not being allowed to work. It's not being allowed to work. They're going to prop up the price of real estate so the boomers feel like they're not parasitical, predatory vampires feasting off the young flesh of younger generations. Imagine they still have wealth. So, yeah, I mean... As automation increases, as wealth increases, birth rates would tend to decline. And that's sort of what we were heading for, right? When birth rate was declining, as automation was increasing, and then the left said, hey, let's open up the spigots to the third world. Let's make sure <clears throat> that all the people coming into the West <clears throat> are non-whites so that anybody who criticizes immigration can be called a racist and shut things down completely that way. So it is going to be a challenge. Uh, it's going to be rough no matter what. There is no, <clears throat> there's no absolutely peaceful way out of this. I mean, even if we were not to look at the demographics, even not look at automation, look at the IQ issue, there's, just no, there's no money. There's no money. And you have trained people to become dependent on a drug that can't sustain, and the withdrawal is going to be brutal. So stay frosty. All right. Ivabdu says censorship causes radicalization. Premise, is it possible the MSN wants to further radicalize just to have more to report, to make more money and push for the radical changes to the West? Yeah, I mean, with, without a doubt, censorship causes radicalization because it doesn't allow people to engage in the realm of ideas and, and hammer things out and, and smooth out the sharp edges of, of disagreements in a relatively peaceful and productive way. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the the, um, uh, the interests of white people are going to be smashed down and attacked and, and destroyed and, and white Christians in particular. Right. White Christians in particular. Why? Well, I mean, some of it is certainly Israel, without a doubt. Right. I mean, that that if white Christians in America and I know some of them are big fans of Israel and all that. But if if uh, white Christians in America say, you know, boy, that's, that's a lot of money going to Israel, a lot of. Uh, a lot of military aid going to Israel, and we're really in debt, so yeah, we should, you know, we should probably try and pull that back a little bit. And I'm sure that there's uses that we can, you know, when, when America's funding a wall in Israel and can't build a wall in America, it's not great, right? So 
the, the white Christians in particular have to have any kind of in-group preference brutally attacked and smashed. They've got to be labeled alt-right, Nazi, racist. They've got to have pages thrown up to them by highly discreditable organizations and so on. Because if there is that in-group preference, um, which is going to emerge either peacefully or non-peacefully, it, it's going to emerge. I and mean, you can't corner people and, and, and so on for so long without there being that. So, yeah, if you can't allow people to have discussions for Christian in-group preference, uh, then, yeah, you're going to get radicalization. I've said this before. Um, if uh, And this is an article in the – I think it was in The Atlantic recently. It's a good article. Basically, uh, if um, – if uh, if democracy won't enforce borders, then fascism or fascists will. And uh, yeah, I mean, it would be great. I'm I'm not a fan of fascism at all, of course, big government program. But uh, yeah, it'll happen either peacefully or not. And it looks pretty much like not. Uh, Mr. Yorkie Lover Fitness Entertainment says, thanks for all you do and your sacrifice to help make others understand what's really going on. Well, I really appreciate that. That's that's very kind. And yeah, it is. It is hard at times. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. It's it's hard at times. I've got to review a lot of difficult information. There's a lot of hate out there. And uh, it's uh, it, it can it can get tough. It can get tough. But, uh, you know, the reality is that um, if you have a gift, <laughs> I have a gift. If you have a gift and it does real good in the world, I hate to say it's not really up to you, but, you know, it's kind of not. You know, it's kind of not. You know what it's like? It's like if you're um, – I had this woman, uh, um, Janet Heimlich, I think she was the daughter of the guy who invented the Heimlich maneuver. Let's say you're really, really good at the Heimlich maneuver, right? And there's some guy choking on a fish. You're really enjoying a cheesecake, and you're like – I mean, you say, well, I have the choice. I can choose to just finish my cheesecake rather than go and save the guy's life who's choking to death on a piece of halibut three tables over but do you really have much of a choice you know do you really have much of a choice you kind of don't right if you can do it and it does good and you can make a way uh you can find a way to survive doing it then you know yeah you have free will and blah 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 but so i really really appreciate it. it's very kind and you know these uh, you know I, there's things that i don't talk about much that that boost me enormously you know i just got another message from someone he'd met his wife uh, through philosophy through free domain radio they they have a baby uh, you see a picture of the baby that's life that's you know that wouldn't exist without what it is that i'm doing there's uh, people who are like oh man i was so depressed i was so anxious i was on the left i was deluded i was uh, whatever and then they like i woke up and i'm thinking for myself and it's like oh beautiful beautiful stuff so all right. And also, you know, the people who call in after the call-in shows. And, right. Let's see here. Imperialist control freak hmm. says, considering debating or having conversations with more far-left streamers like Destiny or Vouch. Yes. Dirty Sanchez. That seems familiar. Is it better to gather as much practical skills as possible in community college or get a degree in university when it seems like every job, especially in art design, asks for a four-year? Yeah, I don't no, no, don't do don't do either of those. Look. If you look at the technology that you use, the companies that founded it were usually not founded by people who'd even finished college. Right? I mean, really, really work. You know, if if you wanna do art and design, just be so good at it that people will hire you no questions asked, right? 
Like nobody's if Freddie Mercury wants to come and sing on your album, you don't sit there and say, well, you know, Freddie, I've, I've heard some good things, but I'm really going to need to see where you studied singing. I mean, the guy never studied singing. He should have, right, because he ended up with nodules and all that. But um, just work at your skills, you know, four years. Like, so you can spend four years in college, right, for, for art or, or literature or history or whatever. But why? You're going to be in other people's programs, other people's plans. It's probably going to be pretty lefty. It's going to be pretty stressful. And you know what's going to happen as well as I do, which is you're going to want to get laid and you're going to want to party and you're going to want to drink and you want to go dancing and you're going to want to go for weekenders at someone's cottage. And you just it's going to distract you from building your damn skill sets in the real world in real time. You know, why, why would you want to go to writing? You can't really teach this stuff anyway, I don't think. Like, why would you want to go to writing class? For four years, when you could spend four years traveling, living, and writing. Well, oh, I don't have the money. It's like, well, if you don't have the money now, how are you going to feel when you're $75,000 in debt as well? <laughs> right? So, like I did, I took a writing course. I was at the Humber School for Writers. And I was paired up with Elizabeth Harver, who was a writer, and... Um, nice lady and, and all that, but, you know, it didn't really get me anything as far as here's your agent. And there was a couple of things were sent off, but, you know, I didn't really understand the art world. I thought it was focused on art, not programming people into communism. So not Elizabeth, but, you know, the others. And, um, yeah, just, uh, just go, go do what you want to do, you know, just go do what you want to do. You know, if you want to be an actor, just get into community theater, write your own plays, just make it happen. Just be so great that people don't care where you're coming from. All right. Not Heisenberg says, but what about democratic fascism? <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, well. Luke Brumfeld says, I'd love to hear Stefan sell a product. Not that he should move away from donations, but I'm curious to see what his persuasion skills look like from his entrepreneurial days. The CEO Steph sells segment. Well, I am selling philosophy, I suppose, but I actually did something. I was thinking about this the other day. I don't drink pop anymore. It's uh, yeah, yeah, it's too dangerous. But um, a couple of years ago, I don't know if you can find it. I did a. I talked about getting a coke from a vending machine when I was in my mid-teens after playing football for like three hours in the blazing sun. That was really quite tempting. So I was, I was, yeah, I was good at selling. I was good at selling, and and I was good at selling because I wanted. I wanted the customers to be happy. Like if you want the customer's money, you won't be very good at selling. Like I want, I want donations. I like donations. I mean, donations, um, they're, they're helpful. You know, what I do is not cheap sometimes and especially with, with travel and documentaries and so on. So um, it's, uh, you know, it's it's challenging, it's expensive. So I like donations. And if you want to help, freedomainradio.com forward slash donate, uh, that would be very, uh, very helpful. But I'm not doing it for donations because if I wanted to do it for donations, I could just do things like uh, the call-in shows. I'm not going to get deplatformed for talking to someone about their bad childhood or their marriage or whatever it is, right? So I could just do the call-in shows. I could do debates on abstract topics. I could do witty reposts on on metaphysics and epistemology and so on. And I could I could talk about anarchism and and voluntarism and all stuff, which is you know hopefully down the road, but it ain't imminent uh, in the world. But instead, I'm sort of taking on real current event stuff and, and really trying to have an effect in, in a positive way, in a way that actually pushes up against some very powerful forces 
significant self-interest, right? So um, I appreciate that. So, But I, I do it because I want you guys to enjoy the value of philosophy. Philosophy makes me enormously happy. And I want to share that that happiness, right? I mean, if why, why wouldn't you, right? So, and, and I think that that kind of integrity, which I've, other than a brief brush with shoplifting when I was in my early teens, I've really had that kind of solid kind of integrity, you know, like I was in the Vancouver thing. I was saying, like, I don't want to charge much, if anything, for speeches because I feel like I'm already being taking donations to, to go there. Like I'm I'm being paid in a way by getting donations on that day when I'm giving a speech. I don't want to double dip. It's not fair and all. I think it's not quite right. So when I was, I was about 14, I worked in a hardware store, Tony's Home Hardware in Don Mills Mall. And um, I, I was the kid chosen to take all of the cash and and put it into the bank machine. It wasn't a bank machine back then. It was a big deposit envelope. You just put your deposit envelope in, right? And I could have taken money out and they, we could have said, oh, you know, well, you must have miscounted or whatever. But I was always chosen to do that because uh, I was just an honest guy. So um, I think because you guys get that I really care about philosophy and want you to be happy, uh, I think that helps. But Ryan Walker says, I'm a 22-year-old bisexual male, mostly into men, sexually impart to my insecurity since young. After watching your channel, I feel a wife and kids is best for me and my future. What should I do? How interesting. That's very interesting. In part to my insecurity since young. That's a very interesting question about sexual orientation and early childhood experiences. And uh, having been in theater school and lived with a whole bunch of gay guys over the years, I've heard some stories and... There, do, there does seem to be some patterns in common between sexual orientation and early childhood experiences, although I'm very clear and, and knowing that that's, you know, because of after this doesn't mean because of this, right? So, but um, I think uh, since a wife and kids is probably a bit of an easier life uh, and, and kids uh, certainly are wonderful, wonderful things, um, then, yeah, I would aim in that direction if it works for you uh, and uh, all that, so... If you find the right woman, you, you never know, right? You never know. All right. Uh, Robo Techil, Robot, Robo Techil <laughs> says, with the ever increase in debt and continuing immigration, what do you feel is the best asset class to invest in now? Crypto, gold and silver, etc." Okay, I'm not a financial advisor, so I'm, you know, don't take anything I say as any kind of gospel. Um, you know, Harry Brown had a pretty good way of doing it back in the day what was it 25% bonds 25% stocks 25% cash 25% gold uh, not not bad certainly he's got some great investing books that you can pick up that's brown with an e at the end of it uh, still miss that guy actually he was pretty cool very good libertarian gentleman uh, he was to libertarianism as Jared Taylor was to whatever so uh, crypto is a good thing to have gold and silver are good things to have um, I would have said prior to Trump that uh, the stocks wouldn't have been so great, but uh, I think that they've got some room uh, to to grow. Because people say, oh, crypto, crypto, boy, it, it, when the electricity grid goes down, you won't have any crypto. And it's like, <laughs> if the electricity goes down, I don't think you have to worry about your crypto. You have to worry about wolves and bears and cannibalism. So, um, you know, like it's not like your credit card is going to work if there's no electrical grid, right? Mr. Proctor says, Steph, we love you, man. Best argument against abortion or for? Stimulate our brains, brother. Thanks and love what you're doing. Been listening for a long time. I listen long time. Uh, well, thanks. Um, I appreciate that support. No, uh, <laughs> I don't think there's any good argument. Uh, 
for abortion. The best argument for not aborting a child is we'll buy your baby. E-baby, man, I'm telling you. Just just pay people to give birth to their babies, right? I mean, you have a market. You have people who have an excess of fertility. In other words, they have a baby they don't want. And you have people who have a deficiency of fertility. There is like one out of 10 married couples has significant troubles conceiving. So you have people who want babies and people who can make babies. And the market would put those two together. It's, oh, you're buying human beings. It's like, well, of course we are. <laughs> we do it all the time. <laughs> we do it all the time. I mean, Half of your healthcare expenses over the course of your life are going to be consumed in the last six months of your life. Problem is you don't know it's the last six months of your life. So we, we throw money to keep people. We buy people's lives all the time. All the time. You know, oh, we've got to have government funding for your diabetes. We've got to have uh, for your, your diabetes treatments, your insulin. We've got an iron lung. You've got a dialysis machine. We, buy, we, we, pay, we pay, pay for human life all the time. And why not do it in a way that keeps people alive? So... Um, the moral argument is going to be very, very tough. Uh, it is pretty clear that it's a human life. Of course, it's a human life, right? And it's not just the destruction of cells, and it's not just a little clump of something or other. It's not, it's not true at all. I mean, your brain is a clump of cells. It doesn't mean you're going to give up half of it, right? But forget about the moral argument because when people are in an extremity and they desperately don't want a baby, the moral argument is going to be very tough, particularly in the absence of religion, right? If, if you are a Christian, then it's very hard to abort. And if you are a Darwinian, then you probably don't have any ethics to begin with, I'm afraid so, because UPB still has to take in general. But um, no, just just give people money for their baby. Just, you know, I mean, it's funny because, you know, buy, go buy lives, right? Go buy lives. That's why I said to Black Lives Matter, you, you, you just got huge amounts of money, some from Soros. Why don't you go to Libya? You can buy a slave for 400 Dollars, free the slave. Take your money, go free. Like black lives in, in, in Libya matter. What was it? 122 black Christians were killed by Muslims uh, recently. And don't those black lives matter? That's way more than what happened in uh, New Zealand, horribly enough. So, no, just um, the market should take care of it. The market should take care of it. And uh, people say, you would buy human beings. <laughs> well, let's say you were a fetus and someone could pay $5,000 to keep you alive. Would, would you like that? <laughs> I think you would. All right. All right. That's a, is that, that's a name. I'm going to need some glasses. Hang on a sec here. Yeah. Phi Cogsmith Omniscience. All right. If I use the money of the state, am I a hypocrite if I oppose taxes? Because I believe that if there were less taxes, I would have had more opportunities. I used to be a technician, but my location is not good. I'm starting up a biz. Well, I don't know. It's complicated, right? So in general, no. We're, we're, we're trapped in the system. If we don't agree with this system, we're there. I mean, to take an extreme example, if, if you are Alexander Solzhenitsyn and you write a letter when you're in the army criticizing the government and then you end up thrown in a gulag for 10 years, are you supporting the Soviet government by eating the food and taking the shelter in the gulag? Well, no. No. So, yes, you can use government currency and so on. Now, there's a big difference, I think, between getting a tax refund and being a tax collector, right? So at some point, 
you're not surviving in a machine, you are fueling that machine. And where that is, I don't know if there's any objective line. I think there's some extremes that are pretty clear, but don't worry about it, man. Don't worry. Follow your bliss. Be good in your life. Spread reason. Spread virtue. Be a beacon for people. And don't sweat if you got to go on unemployment for a month or two. It's, you know, you're just getting your money back, so to speak, right? So don't worry about that. Joshua Crom says, uh, what do you think about how the mass consumption of information slash media has affected the population over the world? An information overload has made a good portion of the population go mad. Yeah, I was just thinking about this today, actually, Josh. I, th I mean, I I'm, I'm torn because at the same time as there is so much disinformation, we do have this incredible thing that's going on in the world where we see propaganda being disassembled in real time. Like, it's incredible. It's like watching a spaceship being built and destroyed <laughs> in the same moment because they're building up these narratives. Like at the Jesse Smollett thing. I mean, they're building up these narratives. People go to work. They go to work. They disassemble these narratives. They'll go frame by frame by frame, Darren Wilson style. They'll go frame by frame to figure out what's going on. If there's any video footage, they'll look for any glitches, any edits. They'll, like, they'll just do incredible amounts of research. And sometimes it doesn't take more than an a day or or sometimes it's even hours where a narrative begins to fall apart like the the racist Covington boys it's like the narrative can be undone in in a day or two and that's incredible it never happened in history before never happened in history before one of the reasons why there's been no ground war in Syria is this idea that Bashar al-Assad would gas his own troops or gas his own people sorry would gas his own people just as he's on the verge of victory, thus ensuring that America would stay in. I mean, this is nobody believes that. And it's, I think, been turned out to be false. So, so at the same time that there's a lot of propaganda going on, there is a lot of disassembling of propaganda going on. And I always wonder, I always wonder if you can get new ideas out of a monoculture. And this is the big question about why China was so stagnant for thousands and thousands of years. I think 6,000 years didn't change that much. If you have a real monoculture, do you get is are there enough cracks in the popular thinking for new ideas to erupt and emerge? So all of this quote diversity could be a very fertile ground for uh, significant improvements in philosophy. Jerry says, "I'm a medic in the U.S. Army and help run a clinic. The patient list varies from soldiers, dependents, children, VA, etc. I'm increasingly astonished with the amount of resources it takes to keep these benefits up. Thoughts on the day when it all ends." Well, I mean, it's, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I am building, I, I have, um, I just, I, like I did a, um, I did actually a recording of my daughter teaching me Minecraft. And there was a, <laughs> this is how silly it is, right? She built a house and then there was a sunflower and the sunflower was facing the house very tightly. And I'm like, I feel bad for the sunflower. And I'm like, dude, you got to stop. You got to stop with this mass empathy stuff. So I'll tell you what I'm doing. Because, you know, shit's going to hit the fan, you know, right? Sorry, I didn't mean to say the word shit. I know this is new for you coming from the army, but shit's going to hit the fan. And it's either going to be a controlled burn, it's going to be out of control, right? So it's either going to be a soft landing, like the plane's coming down. It's either going to be a soft landing or it's going to be a hard landing. And if censorship keeps going the way it's going, it's just going to be a hard landing. And the important thing is to to brace yourself for the amount of human suffering you're going to see so that it doesn't drive you crazy. This is, this is like important mental defense time, right? Like people are always like prepping in the basement. And I get that's important. Do it, right? 
But you really have to build yourself mentally to see the amount of suffering and not feel guilt. Right? A, a, a lot of what I do is like, I know bad things are coming. And, and if I don't do everything I can to try and prevent and avert and, and solve and, and all of that, reason with people, I'm going to feel pretty bad about all these bad things that are coming. I really am. Because I'm like, oh, you know, I should have done more. I should have done more, right? Because closure is when there's nothing more you could have done reasonably, right? I mean, like given that I have other responsibilities, I'm a father and, and a husband and, and friends and like all. So do as much as you reasonably can, like don't end up living in a van down by the river on a steady diet of government cheese, but do what's reasonable and, and, and safe and, and possible. And then when the suffering hits and it's gonna hit, then you can at least look and say, hey man, I did everything I could. I did everything I could. Don't just don't leave yourself with regret. It's like having an uncle you love. He smokes like crazy, and you're like, you never really brought it up with him. Then he gets lung cancer and he dies. You're like, oh man, I should have told him. I should have sat down with him. I should have ripped those cigarettes out of his mouth. So this is a Wendy's. But but if you really sit down and say, man, it's bad for you. Here's a picture of the lung. You've got to stop. You know, and he's like, you try everything you can. I mean, you'll be sad that he's gone, but at least you won't feel guilty. You won't feel like you should have done something else. So just do a whole bunch of stuff, and that way you will be prepared to have the strength of character to look at that suffering and say, I'm sorry, but if you don't listen to reason, bad things are going to happen, which I told you. Now I've been doing this for 15 years, right? I, I told people, right, you don't listen to reason, non-aggression principle, UPB, blah, 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 demographics, race and IQ, you name it, right? People don't listen there's going to be a lot of suffering. And to look at that suffering, I, I, I talk about these things because I care about people. I want to prevent suffering as, as much as possible. And, and that's because I don't like to see suffering. It's suffering, right? So, so if I do everything I can and then people don't listen and then things get really, really bad, I can look at that and say, well, my conscience is clear. Like, I'm sorry that people are suffering. My conscience is clear. And, and you really got to prepare yourself for that because – Pretty, pretty odds are, right? Uh, Christy says, Christy, sorry, says, thank you, Steph, a real Canadian philosopher, making us all proud. I really do appreciate all your work, especially the call-in shows and analysis of current events. Thank you very much. That's very kind. I appreciate that. Esoteric Dichotomy says, hey, Steph, I am pro-freedom of speech, but racial slurs make me feel uncomfortable. I'm mixed. Do you have any advice on how I can become less sensitive to such words and avoid being a snowflake. Thanks for all you do. Ah, oh, that's an interesting question. And I appreciate I appreciate that. Racial slurs make me feel uncomfortable. So I don't know if you want to, I probably won't be able to find it. And we got like a lot of people watching, but wait, I always feel like somebody's watching me. So when, you know, so when I, you may have heard that I've been called a racist, right? So when I first heard that, I was like, hmm? <laughs> what are you talking about? I, you know, that's, 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 but you know, when they pile on, you're like, gosh, you know, am I, do I have any, you know, are you, so the only stuff that hurts you is the stuff that you kind of agree with at some level, right? And so, you know, to take a silly example, right? If somebody says to me, Steph, I hate your mohawk, right? I mean, like, okay, you're like deranged. So okay, I don't have a mohawk, I'm bald, right? Or balding, 
No, I'm all, I'm bald. I'm as bald as I'm going to be, and it ain't including a mohawk other than this really tiny little bit of scrub up top that's kind of annoying because i got to shave it. Otherwise, it looks like I'm vaguely wearing a frizzy space helmet. But So if there's something that someone says to you that you have concerns about might be true, then that, those words are going to hurt you. Those words are going are to hurt you, and it's going to be difficult. So if there's a racial slur that's being head, headed your way, uh, if you're mixed, uh, I mean, I'm just going to go out on a limb here. Maybe you're, you're, you're uh, mulatto, right? So half white, half black. So maybe, maybe I don't know what the words are. Maybe people call you an Oreo, right? Like you're white on the inside, brown on the outside or whatever, or black on the outside. They do the same thing with the East Asians. They call the bananas, right? Yellow on the outside and, and white on the inside and so on. So if those kinds of words get lobbed at you, then if you feel like you are betraying your black heritage by whatever, whatever white behavior, then you just have to resolve that within yourself, right? Because this, like, it's interesting you say I'm pro-freedom of speech, but racial slurs make me feel uncomfortable. And look, racial slurs are nasty, and I, I, I would not associate with anybody who, who would use those and so on. But, you know, they're going to float around and, you know, I mean, trust me, I get the race, all the racial slurs you could imagine, including racist, right, and and. and I mean, white privilege is a racial slur and um, uh, institutionalized racism, which always refers to white people as both a racial and usually a sexual slur, uh, sexist slur, white males and so on. So with me, yeah, I mean, I looked in and I said, OK, well, I do I have any hostility or hatred or, or feelings of contempt or whatever for, for any race? And I'm like, I, cu I couldn't, I, I searched, like I really, I really, you know, you, you sit down and you, you close your eyes and you, you think about your life and your experiences and your friendships and, and you just say, okay, is there anything in what people are saying? Like when people said, oh, he's a cult leader or whatever, right? Because I said, you don't have to stay in abusive relationships, right? Which I guess makes all re reasonable people cult leaders. So I said, okay, well, is that, you know, am I too influential? I mean, you, you ask yourself these questions, right? And there have been times where I've been criticized and people have, have you know, and it stings a little and you say, okay, oh, you know what? They do have a point about that. And I can talk about that perhaps another time. With some of the other ones though, it's like, okay, am I a Nazi? Let me think, <laughs> let me sort of think about, hmm, am I a secret Nazi? It's like, no, I'm not. And am I a racist? No. And am I, am, am I an anti-Semitic? No, of course. I mean, unless by anti-Semitic you mean has any criticisms of Judaism, Israel whatsoever, which is ridiculous. I mean, it's a ridiculous standard. So if they're saying something that makes you uncomfortable, that's a great place for you to go inside and figure out why is it even landing, right? You, you know, you see this, the Superman, like he's striding up and the bullets are bouncing off his chest, right? He's not scared of, but if a bullet gets through, eh, chink in the armor, right? So that chink in the armor is either because something you need to fix or it's a belief that you have that's been implanted in you that other people are using to manipulate you. So look inside and figure out if there's any agreement that you have with whatever people are saying. And if there is, and they're being unjust, right? Racial slurs would be unjust, right? So if there is, then you just need to deal with however it's getting through to you, right? And uh, once you've dealt with that, the people won't, right, bullies go for the openings. They go for the chink in the armor, right? And so once you have uh, done that within yourself, you've gone through the process of figuring out how to dismantle chinks in your armor where people can get to you unjustly. I said, if they get to you justly, 
it's not nice, but it's fair in a way, and you, you can work to improve that. But if they're just using racial slurs, why are they in your life, and, and why does it land for you in a way that bothers you? Because you'll be amazed at when you're no longer susceptible to bullies, how little bullying you get. So I hope that helps, and, and if it doesn't, or there's more, uh, just shoot me an email, we'll, we'll do a chat about it if that would be helpful. Uh, <clears throat> Jerry said that. Okay, let's do a couple more. Very nice. Uh, Steph, do you plan to do more Truth About video series? I haven't seen much over the past two years. I've done a few, but um, been doing a lot of current events and did two books, remember? Um, the Art of the Argument and Essential Philosophy, which you should pick up. Uh, it's very, very good, I think. Uh, EssentialPhilosophy.com. So, yeah, I did two books. Uh, I did a whole documentary, did a whole bunch of live events, did a, a speaking tour. But I have uh, started, and I'm about 20 slides into The Truth About Plato, because uh, it's really cool. Do you know Plato was not even his real name? It just means broad shoulders. Uh, that's that's basically all, all it means. And it was the nickname apparently given to him by his wrestling coach, because um, <laughs> he had very broad shoulders. All right, let me just see. Oh, yeah, here we go. Super chat. Let me see if I got anything. <laughs> One dollar. I won't say anything. All right. Uh, despite the big lie being implemented so fervently, is there any hope it can be erased from the people's minds? Not collectively, but individually. Who's more powerful, Harambi or logic slash reasoning? Uh, it depends if you need a tree uprooted. I would then say Harambi. Uh, Marushia Dark says, having studied law, I can confidently say that witness testimony is the least reliable form of evidence. People lie, misremember, even about traumatic things or recent things. Plenty of experiments on planting false memory. I appreciate that. It's a good connection. A correction, sorry. Marushia Dark, would you please interview Andrew Yang? Well, I haven't really thought about that. Um, let me know what you guys think in the chat. Uh, do you think the left will still be pursuing the baseless, harebrained Russia collusion conspiracy would actually aid Trump 2020 campaign? Yes, but but only at the cost, again, of, of further unity. People need to give up their false beliefs. They need to give up their false ideas. Otherwise, things are going to be very, very bad. All right. Pod says, not Mueller-related, but have zero dollars for therapy, but listening to all the early podcasts do a, do a good job helping me figure my internal nonsense out. I'm sorry to hear about that. Um, I'm, I'm not a therapist, but if you want to do a call and shoot me an email. Um, Real-Time Relationships is a free book at freedomainradio.com forward slash free. That might be helpful. E-Rock, two thumbs up. All right, I'm sure that's racist somehow. Just kidding. Philip Schmidt says, why did it end now? What I've heard, Trump has played ball so good, four powers that he got them to call off Mueller's dogs, not pulling troops out, more immigration than ever before, Golan Heights, etc. Yeah, well, I think that there's something to do with that as well. I mean, he, uh, this, they could have kept going on with this. Uh, they could have kept going on with this investigation. So um, it, could, it could be that, I wouldn't say they got to him because that sounds kind of dramatic, but um, maybe they got to him. <laughs> I don't know. Jim and Jeff says, Stefan, fake news and the big lie is a new thing. We just hear about it now because we have the internet. It makes you wonder what else we've been deceived about. Think World War II. Yeah, you know, it's funny because many, many, many years ago, gosh, it's got to be 12 years ago, I did a couple of truths about World War II that... Um, some people have some criticisms about. And here's the thing, like, I know there's a lot of revisionist history around World War II. And when life stops keep kicking up emergencies in the in the current events sphere, I'll look more into that. But it is a long way. Like whenever I talk about Churchill, like, so yeah, if I ever get the time, I will. Krebsy K says, been watching a long time. It's a 10 out of 10 childhood score. You've shown me that I'm doing well considering 
and where to improve going forward. Thank you. So he's referring to the Adverse Childhood Experience Score, which you should definitely uh, check out. Uh, and I'm so sorry. That means there was almost nothing bad that could have happened to you as a child that didn't happen. I'm incredibly sorry about that, but congratulations. Miles Kinslow, hello, Stefan. Is Trudeau finished or will he be reelected? Also hope Maxime, that's Maxime Bernier, does well. We shall see. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. There is a lot of people. There are a lot of people who vote. Just earlier, I was ranting about the people who just need stuff. A lot of people who vote just because they want free stuff, right? I saw this pretty funny but chilling meme. Two guys in a shower, one guy standing behind the other. There's soap on the ground. The soap is free stuff. The first guy is you, and the guy behind you is the government. Uh, Mike, though. Wop says, I love employers who withhold taxes from illegals. How does that work exactly? I don't know. But I do know that a lot of, a lot of illegals, um, Victor Davis Hansen writes about this, that the illegals would um, often um, be paid in cash, would wander around in cash and would get stolen from because they got cash. And it's pretty rough. Uh, hi, Stefan. If you were a 32-year-old Australian homosexual man who just realized that having children is one of the few main sources of meaning in people's lives, what would you do? I'm afraid I can't imagine being Australian. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Let me mull that one over. I'll see if I have anything useful to say if I do. Uh, let's see here. Top. Ooh. Uh, would I interview Andrew Yang about economics? I could think about it. I just think I would spend so much time trying to get Andrew Yang to understand anything about economics from the Austrian perspective or the free market or whatever. It would be very tough. Uh, Debjeet S. says, top books to analyze behavior. Well, I get to plug real-time relationships. I read a book called Games People Play when I was younger, and I read a book. Jung is pretty good, although it's pretty murky and deep at times. I also read a book on divorce and marriage called Made in Heaven, Settled in Court, which also had quite an influence on me. So you might check those out. MAGA Mexican says, hi, Steph. Just wanted you to read my screen name, and for $2, apparently I will. Uh, let's see. Joni Bologna says, if you mix the ingredients to make a cake and put them in the oven and someone comes along and shuts off the oven, would you say you ruined my cake batter or ruined my cake? <laughs> no liberal can answer this. Okay, if you mix the ingredients. No, you ruined the cake, not the cake batter. The cake batter is fine. It's because uh, the cake batter to cake takes heat. Someone takes the heat away. They've ruined the cake. The cake batter was fine. Is there any overlap between Christianity and objectivism? I'm a Christian who likes Ayn Rand. I feel like you could give a great perspective on both. Pride, humility, altruism, self-interest. Thanks. Well, certainly objective morality, universally uh, universally preferable behavior is common between both Christianity and objectivism. Uh, do you predict a civil war in the U.S.? And if there is one, will the right wing win? I think it would, says Porton Jeterson. <laughs> That's funny. Um, we shall see. Did I see Mike Norton's apology to you? I did, and it was a great video. I appreciated that. Uh, this is random, but have you ever had a lucid dream? Is it valid to say consciousness in lucid dreams are comparable to those in waking life? One love, says Brandon Farrow. I have. I actually miss them. I, um, yeah, I had a couple. This is um, probably 20 years ago again when I was in therapy and I was just doing the wildest self-work that can be imagined. I actually came across my therapy journal just the other day and... I did. I, I had one where I was fl flying over a city and I, I could see every detail about everything in the city, every tire track, every glint of quartz in the sidewalk, every 
piece of gravel on the roof of a bill. I could see everything in the city down to the last detail. It was amazing. I also had one where I was literally just, I was sleeping in a hotel room prior to a big presentation. I dreamt I got up and walked out of the hotel room and saw every grain and in, in the wallpaper in incredibly vivid uh, power. And I really miss those dreams. I have very vivid dreams, but not quite those powerful. And I haven't had lucid dreams where I'm like consciously in control and manage them down to the last detail or anything. I've had the most amazing, I can see why people would believe in an alternative reality kind of dream that was more vivid than anything that I would get in my waking life. Uh, let's see, a couple more. Guys, that's a great questions. Chris Cronin says, is there a topic that is important to you that you rarely have the opportunity to speak upon? By the way, love your work. Yeah, well, just more abstract philosophy. Um, and I like uh, Dr. Phil says Jeremy Bobbin. All right. Uh, Firecock Smith Omniscient says, make the world 1914 Christmas Day. Stefan, when the people lay down their arms and hugs made me cry. I did that video, uh, actually. Hey, Stefan, out of all of the people indicted in the Mueller probe, who actually has real charges against them and not some trumped-up charges? Well, that's an interesting question. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to go, and I, I would not be an expert on all of the details of what has gone on and who got charged and what's real and what's not. But none of them are anything compared to Hillary. Like, none of them are anything compared to, to Bill and, and sexual assault and rape and, and you name it, right? None of it. None of it. And they're all going to get... I mean, those who are charged are most likely to get worse sentences than, you know, Jeffrey Epstein, who was accused of running a underage sex cult dungeon disaster out in his private island from hell. So, yeah, some some of the real charges, but why were they even being looked into? Because of Trump, because of Hillary, because of the loss and all of that. It is not, um, they're not real. To me, they're not real charges. Because, again, you compare them to the Clintons, you compare the, you know, the, the war crimes that gone on under Bush and, and Obama and so on. I mean, good heavens. I mean, it's, it's uh, mad. Look, look at the people who, who've lied under oath to Congress. They're not being pursued for, for perjury. So you can say, well, you know, the real crimes, real charges. Like, yeah, but why, why were they even being looked into? Why, why them and not other people who have very clearly done terrible things and are not being pursued or, or charged or anything like that. I mean, good heavens. I mean, Loretta Lynch meeting with Bill Clinton while his wife's under investigation. I mean, come on. I mean, it's all, it's, it's all nonsense. So, all right. Well, listen, hour and a half. I could chat with you guys all night, but I won't. <laughs> so um, thank you very much for your uh, very kind support. If you do want to help out, uh, I really, really appreciate that freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. And uh, yeah, let me know in the comments below. I've had some mixed reviews on the live streams. Some people love them and some people hate them. <laughs> so let me know what you think. I, I enjoy them. It's a nice change for me uh, from from huge amounts of research and it's fun to get off a good rant. Uh, above all, I will be responding to rationality rules at some point. I have watched the video um, and I found <laughs> I found it interesting. And uh, thanks again, everyone, so much. Uh, a great pleasure to, to chat with you as always. I wish you guys the very best, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful evening.